Hi, and welcome to another episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists of the regenerative movement, people with a planetary purpose. My name is Julian Guderlei, and in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with Blaine Ross. Blaine is a creative entrepreneur, passionate about design and the environment, and currently his major focus is the introduction and launch of Shorelock, a sustainable solution to beach erosion. Developed as an environmentally friendly addition to current techniques, Shorelock claims to protect the coastline and marine habitats by reducing the frequency of coastal dredging. Based in Miami, Florida, Shorelock has successful pilots throughout the Caribbean and the Bahamas, and we'll learn a lot more today with these words. Welcome, Blaine. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm kind of excited about this. Yeah, so am I. I'm excited for every episode. And sometimes <laughs> sometimes I still get like these heart palpitations and I'm like, when I, when I get that, I'm like, I'm at the right place at the right time because this, yeah. is, this is excitement, the good yeah. kind. Well, this is actually this is the first podcast I've done, so I, I, I understand that feeling. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Well, Lane, let's start at the beginning. I, I, I'd love to hear kind of your journey towards Sherlock because this is not what you started out with, right? Like you're, you're a creative, you're, you're, you're um, yeah. all, all about the full spectrum of, of being <laughs> a human and expressing that. So how was that journey to find this epic project? You know, it, it's really crazy. I think this was one of those things that um, has, has been around me for a long time, and I just didn't see it until I was ready to see it. And uh, as so many things go in life, and, and I was off uh, in New York uh, working on uh, the redesign of buildings and kind of focusing on interiors and, and connectivity between people and creating uh, space uh, in that regard and I kind of got to a place where I was like all right this is great and I'm actually impacting about you know two, two, 200 families a day with what I'm doing but like I want to do more than this like I want to figure out like what is how do I give back how do I like make this happen and I was like beating my head against the, uh, the, the door if you will for probably a good year and I said okay I, I don't know how this is gonna work but I am just gonna pull the plug on New York I'm gonna I'm gonna head off and uh, figure that out and Literally the moment that I did that was me kind of realizing that, you know, one of my best friends from college is a, a microbiologist and he had developed Shorelock several years ago and it was, it's been sitting there on a shelf for the longest period of time. And, I, and I've, I've, I've been around it. I've been down to Jamaica and seen it back in the day. And it suddenly just dawned on me. I'm like, wow, wait a minute. There, there's a, there's a product that needs to get into the world and there's an individual that that is that's not his role in this that's going to be my role in this i'm going to figure out how we can introduce this to everyone and um the two of us are going to kind of go forward and um and, and make it happen and that's kind of how the start of the conversation happened for me uh initially so you met your old friend again and he he developed it but was more of like the scientist who does research in a lab than the person who actually carries it out yeah it, it, exactly um he'll be the he'll be the first one to say he's like i am a scientist i am not a salesman <laughs> and um you know <laughs> he is he's fantastic um when he's up there teaching and he loves it and he you know whatever but if you ask him to get on a podcast right now he'd be like no you don't no that's you i'm not doing that <laughs> yeah well he knows himself so th that's that's really curious to understand though right because there's there's probably multiple cases where this is true where something is ready or invented or deployed, but what it really takes are 
uh, entrepreneur type people that are that are basically ready to say you know what this is worth to bring into our society let me give it a shot let me let me create it let me build it um, let me execute on it yeah I, I think that that's probably one of the biggest challenges that I've had to constantly remind myself of just in growing up is I have the entrepreneur mentality and for me that typically means like I'm a one-man island and I'm going to charge out into the world and I'm going to make this happen hmm. but what I've learned over my career has been, there's been a few, is really that the more success depends on the more people I have in the community that I've built around me. Um, that's really when things start taking off. And that, that's probably the biggest thing that I would ever pass on to anyone else is don't go out there, go, don't go out alone. Um, you know, put people around you because everybody has a specialty. They all got something to give. And I learned from everybody constantly and it rolls into what I'm trying to do so hmm. yeah that's a that's a big piece of wisdom there is like surround yourself with the people that can help you carry it out we can dive deeper into that let me pause it for a second I want to learn a little bit more about Sherlock first and like explain it um, to people so there's successful pilots in the Caribbean there there you know it, it's been invented basically as a form to uh, the way I understand it is like to prevent erosion and, and tell us a little bit more Sure. Um, to give you a little bit more of an idea about what Sherlock is and how some of the pilots went and a little history on the company, um, Troy came up with this idea as a microbiologist's approach to a, a, what we call an engineering problem. And if you look back over time, we as a society have always tried to manage water with physical structures, um, you know, walls and groins, uh, which is like a, kind of like a rock jetty. Um, and then eventually in the 19th century, we started getting into renourishments. Uh, a renourishment is basically when you take a, uh, a barge, you go out and into a water source and you figure out a way, usually a hopper dredge that will suck up the sand from one location, pipe it back over to the new location and drop it off. And uh, coastal maintenance over the years has really been very much those three things. And, and we know how each one of them is gonna behave. We know that if we build a groin, it's going to put sand's going to build up on one side and it most likely it's going to carve out um, even harder on the, the, the leeward side of it. So when you have somebody like Troy in a microbiologist standpoint, he's looking at it like, how do I, how do I change this from a whole different lens? And when he did it, and this actually was created, it was 2008, the economy was terrible and they went out and they tried, and he did this with a couple other partners at the time, and they tried to start a conversation when there was no money to have a conversation about anything other than keeping the doors open and the lights on. And <laughs> that was kind of where it started. So somewhere around 2010, the, 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 the team kind of gave up and disbanded on things. Um, and it would, that was, a it was kind of an unfortunate situation. Troy, Troy hung out and uh, maintained a pilot or two along the way. Uh, the good news for that was at the time, um, the United Nations Environmental Protection Fund uh, partnered with uh, NEPA, which is the environmental agency down in Jamaica, uh, to do a study on Shorelock in on a beach. And uh, at the time, there was a lot of hoo-ha about it. And, some people in the media got a little crazy because they didn't know what we were actually doing. Mm -hmm. And we learned a lot from that and that you have to start talking to the community first and say, hey, this is what, what we're doing, why and how. And uh, the great news is 100 plus pages of research later by a local university, um, we had like, you know, 
really fantastic results. Uh, but that was still Troy at that point kind of out there on his own. So it sat very quietly until I uh, got involved with him in early 2017. And so those pilots that are, that are live right now across multiple lo locations, like um, are these, these projects where, uh, you, know, you know, you have like teams working on it or like just for people to kind of visualize a little bit better the kind of work that, that's being done and the kind of work that's also needed, right? Like yeah. this, is, this is the part that when you live in these areas, you, you might know, but. Yeah, well, let's, let's, let's talk about exactly what Shorelock is. So um, Shorelock is a plant-based powder. Um, it's made of uh, what, we, what typically the Food and Drug Administration calls uh, generally recognized as safe uh, food-grade products. So it's all plant-based. Um, the powder uh, is used in small quantities, and we basically go to the high tide mark of a beach, and we run in a line. Every three feet, about 12 inches down, we put, you know, whatever the appropriate amount is, somewhere between a cup and two cups of the powder, and then we cover it back up. And what that is doing is creating a, a biopolymer that is creating a relationship between the sand particles that allows rapid dewatering. Now, why the heck is that important? Well, <laughs> basically what's happening is when, the, when the, a wave is coming in, it's, if you want to look at the beach a little bit like the layers of an onion, the water travels across the top of the sand and then it returns across the sand and it brings sand with it back out into the ocean. Totally. But if you create a relationship between the particles of sand that allows the water to quickly pass through them and go straight down and then return to the ocean somewhat below the surface, you've interrupted the cycle. So what we've seen is when we start dewatering a beach in that way, that the beach, depending on what this, the nearshore sand deposits are that are actually available, the beach has the ability to grow not only in elevation, but also in depth. So we have seen up to 10 inches of elevation change and up to you know, 10 plus feet or so in the width of a beach increase over a short period of time. Hmm. And if we think of it, we know this from like around the world that those like islands or even I think I'm thinking of the United uh, Arab Emirates right now where, you know, they've created islands, but then those islands basically dissolve back into the ocean over time, right? Yeah. If there's nothing done or just like, the current of the ocean consistently working on it. And so in a lot of areas where people are living on, on sea level or on islands, um, especially with the threat of climate change raising our sea levels, it's, it's, um, it's a very, I think, useful next step to not just, as you said in the beginning, like cover the, 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 the regular, the engineering solutions, let's just fix this problem, but to actually interact with the, the, the biosphere itself and like find ways how the biosphere can, can, can trigger this regrowth of, of, of beach in a different way. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, we tend to like to call it, we're optimizing what's going on. And you know we're not a replacement for um, some of the techniques. I mean, if you need to put 150 or 200 feet of depth onto a, a beach um, like Miami, and you want to do it in the course of you know two months, that's not going to happen with us. It's not what we're there for. But what we can do is help stabilize renourishments after they happen and prolong the process. So one of the things that I, I found um, fascinating that this didn't really take hold on the cultural level as much as it should have, but there was a documentary called Sand Wars. 
and sand tours really gets down to talking about how important sand is to everything that we do. And a lot of people immediately jump to, okay, well, there's lots of sand in the desert. Yeah, no problem. But the reality is that's not the sand that anybody really wants. They're going after marine sand because the composition and the edges and the way that it hasn't been tumbled is important because it binds differently. So if the third most important resource in the world is being ignored, then we're going to have a big, big deficit really soon. And we got to start talking about it. Um, and, and that's really where I think that we're at least able to help extend the life of these renourishments as they happen. And, you know, can we do it and make it perfect and make it 20 years? No, I don't think so. But can we get out longer out of it than what we currently do? 100%. Yes, we can do that. And, and, and that's where it becomes things working in tandem together. And it doesn't have to be so black or white about the, our approaches with things sometimes. Yeah, interesting. Thanks for going like quite a bit deeper into um, what you guys create and how you're doing this. And let me ask you like a follow-up question to kind of the state of the world at the moment. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think it would take for humanity to, to like learn from its past mistakes to actually become present with the situations we're, we're in? You know, as, as I, I think I mentioned to you earlier before we jumped on the call that I, I think that people really become engaged in things when it's on their doorstep. And it takes that kind of awareness where it's personal and it's, it's that's the connection that people are like, oh, I've got to do something about this. And Miami is a fantastic example of it. Um, they have to do something about what's going on with sea level rise right now. And they don't have the opportunity and if they aren't doing this, they're going to, it won't work. But they, they have got to embrace different ideas right now and really try them and get behind it because we don't have that long to keep goofing around with this. Our projections in South Florida that are even at 2030 are just catastrophic to the way that we have daily life. And that's 10 years out. So, um, you know, it's not doomsday by any means. It's just, we have to start looking at it's these at the doorstep now. Yeah. 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 Interesting. I think, I think there's a truth to it that the moment it's at the doorstep or like in our present uh, consciousness, you know, then people wake up and maybe even, even learn from, from past mistakes. It's possibly one, one day on this planet, we, we can, we can learn quite a bit more holistically, but we're not, we're not quite there yet. So um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, there's, there's opportunities when, when things pop up in your life and you're like, you're reading BuzzFeed and all of a sudden you find out that your podcast is, you know, top 10 things that you need to listen to at this point. And somebody start, they find you and all of a sudden they get excited about just one of your, uh, your podcasts, then that makes a difference. And they go off and they go and they invent the next major thing. And I, that's awesome. Like that's going to happen. Things like this conversation, that's why it's so important is because it's just a one-on-one -on -one spark at the right moment. Yeah, man, I, I appreciate you seeing that and, and feeling that that's definitely um, the conviction with which I do my work. And I also know that these are the, the, the ripples of impact, right? Like in other words, it's like um, ripple of impact actually is also ROI. So it's like ROI <laughs> squared. It's the return on investment that everyone is always looking for, but it's also a ripple of impact into our society and the way we relate, right? And, yeah, our, you know, our ROI is such an interesting thing when we start getting into the eco space because, you know, like right now, um, 
of Florida, I think they did a study that said for every dollar they put into beach care and beach renourishment, it, it, it puts $5 back into the state um, in terms of uh, taxpayer and their uh, benefit, um, which is, that's astronomical. And right now there's a whole lot of conversation that's happening globally about coral. And one of the things that people have to get about renourishments is when you do a renourishment, there's a very high probability that sand and silt is going to get kicked up and it's going to settle on the coral. And you know, about, I guess it was 2016 or early 17, there was a, um, a dredge that happened down here and they had a mass leaching event. And a lot of people have pointed in that direction that it may have been the, uh, the way that we renourished. The global impact to coral as an ecosystem is really, really crucial, and everybody started talking yeah. about it. But that's also why I, I think it's so important that we start talking about how we're handling coastal erosion in tandem with the corals, because if we're not paying attention to how we extend the life of the coastlines, it's going to, the, the way that we've been doing it in the past has an impact potentially on what's happening with the corals. Yeah, I think what you're, what you're saying there is, you know, in other words, when we, when we learn from our past mistakes, right, that's the question I just asked, or when we, when we see our true interconnectedness on this planet and, and, and through this interconnectedness understand which parts of the biosphere, which part of the atmosphere, which part of our entire kind of planet are connected to what other parts, um, yeah, I think a lot of the things we do would, would, would be very different, you know, like the, the idea of, of, of doing things just for return on investment or just for a nation state's uh, pride or, or success, they're, they're kind of, to me, sometimes they, they seem like something from another millennia, like from the past. We're obviously still carrying this out into the reality, but climate change and uh, pollution problems, I think, really consistently, and this narrative is out there, right, consistently present a chance for humanity to unite quite a bit more and to also uh, group together our resources, our intellectual capacities and, 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 and find solutions that are not just fixes to the problem, but actually address the symptom and below the symptom, like the, 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 core, the core systemic uh, kind of ignorance we've been practicing for a long time. You know, I agree that with that. And I also would say on the, the economic side, when you're talking about how to get people passionate about things, I mean, <laughs> when, it, when it starts becoming a fiscal problem in their own wallet, that's mm. when it gets scary. You know, they're like, I'm real engaged right now. <laughs> and that happens in a lot of different areas, not just ours. Yeah, very, very interesting. Let me ask you a, a more personal question. And it's maybe related to your work because, you know, you get to travel quite a bit to, to epic Caribbean places. But if you were to mention three places in the world that you've either been to or you lived at where you're like, I love this space and maybe even a reason why, like what would be those three places for you, Blaine? Oh, wow. Um, I, probably the biggest like rewiring of my brain was I, I was up um, uh, hiking in Peru and kind of did a, a, the Inca Trail. I mean, sorry, not the uh, Inca Trail. Anyway, the, I was going from uh, up some of the mountains and we were way out there and I was trying to get reconnected with myself. And it was probably the first time that I can think of that I was actually disconnected from my phone for like a week. Wow. <laughs> In fact, it was like about 12 days that we were, um, we were doing this trail. And that, that led me to sitting up 
um, on a mountaintop one night in probably the most cliche way and, and saying, all right, I'm coming back and I'm quitting my job and, um, and, I'm, and I'm changing everything. And, and I did. I, I was um, an entertainment exec at the time um, out in Hollywood. And uh, it was a moment where I came back and I was sitting down at one point talking with my boss at, at a lunch. And I, and I said, I think... I might be ready to make a big change. <laughs> and uh, that change then happened really quickly within about three months. Um, and that, was, that, that environment has always been really special to me. So that would probably be number one. Um, so uh, number Peruvian two is- mountains. Yeah, Peruvian mountains. Number two is probably South Africa. Um, just unbelievable uh, to be able to, to go out and be on the water and, and sail kind of around the tip there and, and watch the wildlife. Um, I, I'm obsessed with water. Um, being at, uh, obviously for me, the connectivity from Florida, being in the water and the beach and the ocean is a big thing. But um, that was really a place that I just settled into very quickly and very easily when I was there. Um, really, really fantastic. And I think probably the other place, um, oddly, is I, is boat in Norway. Um, <laughs> I know, random, right? Nice. Um, well, they're, they're very far from each other, those places, but that's why I'm asking. Is, you know, the, this planet is massive, so, so what's your Norway story? Um, Norway's story was, um, my mom raised us all with kind of the, the need to go find out about other cultures, and she wanted it to start really early. So uh, she signed me up for, uh, I think it's called Children's International Summer Villages. And I was 11 years old, and uh, that was the place that my village was going to be. And that organization feels really that 11 is kind of the point at which you are the most open to meeting other cultures, to not forming, having prejudices formed at that point. Um, and it's summer camp, and it's summer camp with a bunch of kids that are doing the same normal summer camp things you would do anywhere on the planet. Not everybody speaks English. So you have to figure out how to communicate and um, play games and do things together. And you, wow. yeah, like, wow's that right. That was really cool, actually. I mean, I was, I was 15 the first time I went abroad. And that was right around the age when you actually start carrying those prejudices, right? And, and, and I remember bouncing against some of mine. I was, I was away for a full year in an exchange. And um, I rarely meet people who, who left when they were even younger, which as I'm super curious about this. So you spent summer camp in, in Bergen. Um, yeah, so that, that, um, that experience was really great. And I think it really, from, for me, then led to uh, anytime an opportunity would come up, it's no big deal for me just to be like, okay, I'm getting on the plane and I'm going. And uh, it was actually kind of comical about six months ago, I wasn't even thinking that I needed my passport to go to England. Like I just happily had sent it off to go get redone at, you know, cause it's time for it to be renewed. And uh, my buddy was sitting off at dinner as I was telling him that I, you know, I'm, I felt so organized this time. I got my passport and done in advance for this next trip that I have and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, um, you're, you're going to England on Thursday. Don't you think you're going to need that? <laughs> um, I, I, and I, I think that's kind of gotten to be my approach is it just, I, I love the travel. I love thinking that it just anywhere is achievable and trying to go and explore. And, and that really comes from that early experience that summer camp had and just being like, yeah, I'm down. Let's go meet some new people. Let's see some new stuff. Um, what's next. 
that's that's fascinating this this way something can shape us right like if it happens in our early childhood i mean on the negative side as well obviously trauma or something something negative that happens to people prevents them sometimes from connecting deeper but yeah i, I feel very similar about different places cultures countries languages it's it's just all it's just all a big yes to me really not that i need to like live everywhere on the planet but it's just it feels to me that this notion of being a global citizen while it's not fully a reality um it seems like a, a logical trajectory to me almost you know it's like we're human beings sharing this 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 big rock with each other and um i get it there's cultural identities and we call them nation states right now but on the trajectory of what could be possible on this planet for me this is one of them that never made fully sense to to exclude people from different spaces because our shared or our collective um exchange and 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 space sharing space with each other for me is one of the ways how diversity turns into ingenuity and 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 innovation yeah i the because it, 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 it's it's crossing paths in different um just different worlds i guess that's the best way to it, it kind of explain it these these housing projects that are coming up right now where you pay global rent and you can be in any one of the homes, you know, you're just paying a flat rent to the company. I think that's the coolest thing. Right? Really? Oh yeah. I've never there's heard of it. Of, yeah. There's a few of them that have popped up and, and you basically pay rent to the company and the company owns flats around the world. And you kind of sign into what you want your, your experience to be. And I'm like, wow, when do I get to do that? <laughs> <laughs> really cool. So let me ask you another question that, that I love asking. Um, and it's around trust. So, you know, if you left home really early at 11, um, maybe your, your way of building trust is also uh, quite, quite, quite different. So my question is, what does it take for you to experience trust and, and to, to give trust in that sense? Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm really touchy-feely. So for me, the ability to sit down with somebody face-to-face -face and like really look them in the eyes and talk to them and be able to kind of feel who they are and their energy is about the best way that I can figure out how I'm gonna trust somebody. And it's that simple. Um, when I don't have personal contact, if I have to, to call out to a legislator or something like that, and I'm trying to talk about Sherlock and it's just over the phone, my ability to communicate what I feel like I need to do with them never seems like it's good enough. Um, it's because I haven't been able to give any enough of myself to the conversation because I feel like there's this weird, you know, I don't get to see them. Uh, so that's really how I approach things. It's just my ability to be in somebody's space and, you know, feel out the vibe. Mm, like full presence, both physically, yeah. energetically, mentally, to, to kind of dissolve maybe also some, some of the the hurdles that show up very interesting yeah because over the phone sometimes we will turn into just like a very transactionary experience right yeah of course and you know and i think that um you know people these days are you're bombarded with so many things that we've all gotten very good at saying no and you may not use the words but you definitely whether it's body language or or words or just what you're into your actions are going to be it, we're 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 protecting constantly and it's much easier to protect and not to connect when you are not in front of the person and you're just on the phone Boom, or was, email. That was a quotable. It's much easier to protect and not to connect. I totally agree. I'm not sure if I agree that we've gotten good at saying no. I think we've learned to protect. I totally agree with that part. And so the no is kind of the consequence of that. Yeah. I almost feel like some, 
some people still have a hard time with owning their authentic no um, and just saying that in a kind way like you know this this um this ability to speak your truth and, and i mean i'm i'm full of flaws myself but like trying kindly because the moment you speak your truth it's totally simple and easy to respect that right it's it's just a matter of like are you even aware what is your truth or are you just protecting your space for no reason and, and then usually as you said like for me i i sense when someone overprotects without full presence there's no connection at all yeah i i think that part of that comes from um and actually it was um a, a a cab driver that said this to me when i was in cape town that he said everybody in the u.s is so busy being politically correct that they're not willing to just own their own opinion and talk through the things that they need to talk through these days and i sat there and thought about that for the rest of the afternoon yeah, the political correct thing is is something that's very interesting because there's a line where I think it's important to like stay within um, a form of conduct that will work for for many people in a group. But then there's also a line where it's just important to be yourself and and not compromise on that at all, right? So yeah, so yeah, yeah, very very curious. Thanks so much for that answer. I think that that um, you know it's it's an ongoing topic for humanity at this point. Is like how do we build trust? What does it take on an individual cosmos? What does it take on the collective cosmos? I have another question for you, and that's kind of trailing back into your younger years. So if you were to meet your, your like 15-year-old self, yeah, internationally traveling Blaine already, as we know now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you were to meet your 15-year-old self, like what one, two, or even three lessons would you want to pass on to that, to that version of you? Wow. Um, 15 was a hugely, hugely, that's a horrible word. Um, uh, that was a really pivotal year for me. Um, the number one thing that I would go back and tell myself is to do the thing that makes me happy and not listen to everyone else's opinions. Um, that has probably been the biggest challenge that I have had, um, throughout my life is to really believe that the things that I'm, that I love and that I'm passionate about, it's okay for other people to not like or to judge or, um, or speak out against and it not have anything to do with me. Um, it has taken me a very long time to realize that a lot of the time when people are speaking, they're only speaking from their lens or about themselves as they're saying that thing. And, and for me at 15, um, I was listening to what everyone else said about me and it guided me to make decisions that would have had a drastically different direction in my life had I just stuck down to whatever it was that I was into at that moment. Um, very, yeah, that's, that's a big one, man. I think everyone can relate in their own way to, to, to that example. Yeah. So we're going to stick with that one. That's probably the biggest one. Cool. Yeah. Do you have two more or you, you want to stick um, with them? Yeah. Well, that's the one that I probably, I, I always still struggle with. So it's always the one that's really present. Um, I, I think probably another one is that you really have to listen to things that like just life in general, realizing that there's a million perspectives to every situation as well as every outcome. And what I, when I'm trying to talk and engage and connect with people, sometimes I really have to turn off the filter that I 
that they're speaking to me from a certain place and not assuming that I know what their place is. Um, mm. That's, that's one that I, I really, um, I challenge myself with all the time. Um, especially when people are really short with me um, or they snap really fast. I don't know what happened to them that morning. Totally. You know? it, it's really easy for me to come back and want to be like, I'm, you know, here's my back opinion about whatever it is you just said, but that's not, that's not going to move either of us forward. Um, so I got to edit myself with that one all the time and give people the space to have whatever's going on in their life and, and lens going on. Um, just to be. Um, I think probably the, the only other third thing that like jumps at me is really uh, for me is being present um, and, and just dealing with what I have to deal with daily and stop looking so far forward. Um, because I have so much going on right now, I, it is very easy for me to like look far down the road and get completely overwhelmed to the point that I just am like staring at my computer screen, not knowing even what to do next. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's when I just have to chill out and like, you know, take a couple breaths. Sometimes lately it's actually been meditate for a little bit and then get back up and just write a list of the stuff that I need to do. And then just work on that, that little short list, not 200 items list, just get out 10 things. And then all of a sudden when I can, you, you can get through 10 things and they don't have to be big. But when you get done with that, you have a little sense of accomplishment. And sometimes that's all it is that you need in order to be able to write easily the next 10 things. And then you're, then you're kind of rolling. Um, and that's something else that I kind of deal with is mm. you know, just today, don't look everything that has to happen. Here right now, the one next step, <laughs> if you take that fully, the next door opens, right? Like, yeah, this is, it's so funny that in life, sometimes the simplest lessons, because they are not culturally our core focus, they, they are maybe in some indigenous ways of living. And they are when people go into deep meditations or, or, you know, long lineages of yoga or, or of plant medicines, these messages come out as well. But but really bringing this into the context of a modern life where we have notebooks and to-do lists. And, but then remembering life isn't a to-do list, but you will still have a list of things to do. I, I, I feel you there. I think it's something that many people go through in isolation, either at work or in their own entrepreneurial journey. But, but, but truthfully, I think this is something that connects almost everybody is this, this desire to, to really know and feel what the right next step is. Because there's yeah. magic in that, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, look at the way that we're set up right now as a society is like, you know, we're, we're taking care of our, of our parent, by our parents until, at least in the U.S., until you're 18 years old. And then you're 18, you have this trajectory that says, all right, this is what college is going to look like. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, nobody's telling me what to do anymore. What am I supposed to do next? Hey, I got to figure this out. Wait, what? <laughs> um, That's if you want to figure it out. Otherwise, you find a job where someone tells you what to do, which then also mostly doesn't feel good to people. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I, I think that it would be fantastic if we had this like after post college that then actually works on us being humans um, and less about us being like the machine that's pro producing the work. Like, you know, when people go into self-development stuff, it, it, it's basically, you know, it's like their own little version of their university on themselves. And it's so cool yeah. when you start getting into that work and that world, because you really are, are learning just as much, if not more valuable information than that, you know, calculus class that I took that I can't remember anything from now. I would have much rather had a communications class at that point, I think, with, 
What's one of your favorite personal development tools or trainings or programs or coachings you went through? Um, yeah, I think you mean what's the name of the program or just like, yeah, or your experience with it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest experiences for me that really had an impact was I thought I was in a, I was in a program that had a curriculum. And the curriculum was you do this one, you do this class, you do this class in the third class, but it was very, very rigid. And uh, I didn't do it in the order that they wanted to or in the timeline that they wanted to. I came back and eventually did it in my own time. And the last one of them, <laughs> that's who I am, um, the, the last one has you uh, get into a, a, to these small groups and it breaks down over the course of a year. And my life worked so well during that year because I had this really awesome group of five to eight people that we got together once a month and we checked in with each other on our progress, held each other accountable, um, really talked about what was going on in our lives frequently. And the funny part about it is the reason that I did not do everything that was in order was because this particular company was saying, we want you to, uh, to have build a community around you um, of people that are going to support you. Therefore you should bring in other people. And I was like, Oh no, that is a marketing technique. You are trying to get me to sell for you. And I'm like, I am not going to do that. Um, the, the, the reality of what happened later when I did decide to participate in something that was frequent, I actually got and created what I wanted and, mm. and had that connection. So, so I'm not always hey? right. They're like, they're <laughs> like, uh, the resistance or as you said the like this disconnection you said a little earlier right like of stopping or pushing something away rather than letting it in and connect and, and see see the value i think i went through this multiple times in, in programs i've uh i've partook in or i i go through it with some of my clients when when i give them like uh, a resource and say hey like what about this this is a resource i've created for you um until I see you next week, please fill it all out. And so this, this initial resistance of like, I do what I want to do. I think it's a very <laughs> healthy one until you're at that point where you're totally ready to commit to yourself. And yeah. when you're at the point where you're totally ready to commit to yourself, uh, you know, sometimes it makes sense to, I have one of those right now, uh, shout out to John Lee Dumas. Uh, uh, I work yeah. with these books every now and then. It's just like a hundred days. I know that I want to create X amount of episodes and I want to help X amount of people. And I'm going to, travel for a production and so I, I, in those 100 days i want to make sure i'm actually committed to that journey and showing up for myself and so yeah. using a crutch or or telling other people about it um can be very very helpful right i have two more questions for you blaine um one is about the education system because you just you just were talking about the way at least in the states it's laid out uh, how you're following your parents and then university and then possibly the next the next opportunity of work if you could either single-handedly or with a team of experts change the education system, what would you do? <laughs> um, th this is one that uh, I've had a couple of parents along the way have said, I want you to talk to my child and they don't want to go to college their first year. And I'm like, well, I don't know if you want me to talk to your college, your child about that, because I actually kind of feel like it, yeah. it, it wouldn't hurt them to go out and, um, and try a little time on their own as an adult before locking themselves into a four-year program. Um, I think if, 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 if I was giving that type of feedback to a, a, to a university or to a panel, I think that I would really let and push the concept of 
you know, going through the general ed curriculum your freshman and sophomore years as it stands, but really encouraging a stop in program that allows uh, the students to go out and try on through an internship some of the things that they want to do before they commit the next two years to specialize in that thing. Mm. It, I think that that will interrupt the cycle that we have, which is the majority of people are not doing uh, their career as what they did in undergrad because they get out and they find all of a sudden, oh, wow, this doesn't look like in reality what I thought it was going to look like. Yeah. Um, and, and, and having that interruption somewhere in the pattern, I think would be very, very beneficial to the education system um, if, we, if we did that. Um, and I think the other thing probably is really to realize too that, you know, the, the trade school programs that are out there right now, I think if, if, to me, it seems like they've really been a little bit left on the wayside. And, you know, when I was, I was running this construction company in New York, um, a, a few years ago, one of the things that really astounded me is the labor rate that um, plumbers and electricians make. Um, it's really high. In fact, it's higher than a lot of middle management makes that are just in white collar jobs. And I thought at that time, I was like, why in the world are we not taking across the board conversations and really building up the, the value that all of these different trades um, actually have and contribute and that, that that's, a, there's, that's a really great life um, career for them. Um, I think that that's something that we as a country really have the opportunity to do is really build up our, our trade program and teaching skills again that, uh, and making that a, as, as just as prestigious as, as a white collar job because I think this, that's awesome. Yeah, I love those answers, man. This is a very unique answer. I think I've never heard someone who likes to go straight into, uh, you know, like the programs between school and university. I totally agree with you on this one. I, I was the generation in, in, in back in Germany, actually, that still had to do obligatory military service at the time. And I declined that. I'm a pacifist, right? So I declined that. I had to write a letter and like, read, like decline my, my right to a weapon, as the Germans call it. And then um, with that, I also am now officially not allowed to be a policeman in Germany anymore, which, you know, too bad. But so um, I declined that and I did a civilian service instead. And so that civilian service at the time, um, a lot of people did civilian service instead of military service. And, and a lot of women also did civilian services. And then they got rid of the obligatory military service. And with that, they got rid of the obligatory civilian service, which I've always found was such a you know, such a great chance for an 18 to 20 year old to, to just experience six to nine months to 12 months in a hospital, in a school, in an environment where there's help needed and where you, you get to practice being an adult, practice being a human in society. And um, super curious answer there. Thank you for that. Yeah. I would, I, would, I would add one other thing to it is that it really exposes them to new jobs. I mean, you, when you're, you come out of high school, you're like, I'm going to be a doctor or a lawyer or a manager or a businessman. The fact that we have so many new companies that are coming out and, and what you, I guess you call them niches, but that's how you find out about them is just being in the world and you're talking to people and you're like, they're telling you about their job and you're like, oh, wait you can make a living by interviewing people and putting it on the web and people care and you're impacting people like, wow, I want to do that. But they wouldn't have thought about that beforehand. 
Right, which also comes back to what you said quite a bit earlier in this interview, like listening to the people around you or listening to your parents or the career choices that other people might have for you or society at large has for you. Like the doctor, lawyer is kind of like the classic um, going for high status uh, desire, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, my last question for you is my like OG question, the way I started out this podcast. Uh, and this has to do with your earth vision, your dream for earth, you know, your dream for this planet in this, this human, this human society we've built. And I want to context this into seven generations, right? Like you don't have to go all the way out to 200 years, but, but like, what's your dream for the earth taken into account that um, we're not just here for, for this specific lifetime? Yeah. I, I think that's a two-part answer. One, the, the business answer for me right now is my personal goal is I want 30% of the planet um, uh, coastal, coastal regions uh, protected in the next 10 years. Mm. Um, going out really far, I think, is that I would love to see more private industry continuing to step up and really go after and solving problems and not sitting back and waiting for the government to do it. Um, we will move farther and faster and more will get accomplished if we continue to step outside of the legislature to develop and create and not assume somebody else is going to do it for us and somebody else is going to take care of us. Um, that responsibility, if we suddenly own it and everybody owns that they are in control of how we move forward, that is a huge pivot because that's not the way that it's been set up for a long time, at least not here. It's, it's been set up here that they take care of us. And at the end of the day, we should be the ones that are really driving that, in my opinion, is uh, let, private, let, let some of these private companies really go out and make a difference. And then the government needs to embrace them and quickly, <laughs> even in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, thanks for that answer. I, I, I think it's just so interesting, you know, after having heard over 150, 160 people share those answers, there's such a wide variety of answers on this spectrum. And there's also not like a right answer, but I think it's, it's something that um, we talk too little about is what would this society look like if we take into account what actually works for individuals, right? We're just in this continuous running of what has been set up in the past and some of those agreements and decisions in the past they're literally from the past. <laughs> yeah, you can't, no, you're not solving anything in the future in the past. You can't, you, a lot, you've got to break some of those norms. And, and that's one of the things that I've, I've, I've bumped into even in, in what we're doing right now is, is somebody saying, oh, well, we did something like this, you know, in the past and it didn't work. And I'm like, yeah, that was completely different. Nothing like what we're doing. The concept is completely different. So don't let that color your, your perception of what we're doing moving forward into the present and into the future. Like, you gotta draw that line. Beautiful. Past is past. Past is past, future is yet to be experienced and the present moment is all we have, right? Is this like, as we, you also said a little earlier, is like the one right next step. Um, so may everyone who listened to this be inspired for the one right next step. Thank you so much, Blaine, for your time. Thank you for your answers, for some of the insights and just the vulnerability and openness to share. I highly appreciate that. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. This has been really a cool experience. It's, um, it's, it's less stressful than I thought it was gonna be, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you. All right.
And that's that, another episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I hope you truly enjoyed this one and received some insights, knowledge, and a form of learning that you can directly apply to your life, into your relationships, or maybe even into your business and the way you show up for the world. Because this is a movement and we're all part of it, very much so, and we're in this together. We're here to create a world of a triple bottom line, where you win, I win, and the entire planet wins. We're raising consciousness together, and you know that. That's why you're listening. That's why I love you. So make sure to share the love. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Invite a friend to listen to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And if you have an idea who else you'd like me to interview, make sure you reach out and send me a suggestion. Definitely check out greenplanet-blueplanet.com, the website to the podcast. I've created a lot of different offers for you, free content, free meditations for you to amplify your connection to self, the state of social impact in the world, and for you to connect and listen to who you could support of the people that I actually interview, because their missions are ongoing and a lot of them need more collaboration. And after more than 100 episodes now, with some of the world's leading social impact experts, I have synthesized my most inspired learnings and takeaways to create coaching and mentorship programs for you and the people around you. Let me share with you about planetary purpose coaching and mentorship experiences. If you're in a space in your life where you're ready to level up to amplify who you are, what's coming through you and what you're doing to give your gift to the world, then I would love to hear from you and I'd love for you to apply to one of my private mentorships or group mentorships because getting all of the juice, all of that life force that's in you out into the world is something you deserve and the entire world around us deserves. Also, I work with people who are entirely new to this, to the topic of planetary purpose or the topic of meditation, the topic of inside evolution and revolution. And if that's you and you're ready to step out of the ordinary and into creation, or if you know someone who is totally ready for that, make sure to check out the website or share the website. And you can also always shoot me a message on Instagram. I'll definitely read it and get back to you. Because, like, guys, this is real life. Let's be in touch and let's create this together. Last but not least, there's a few different group experiences I host, both in person and online. All of them are quantum learning environments, and I'm happy to tell you more. So simply inform yourself and stay connected, because whatever resonates with you, I'm here to support you and bring out more purpose into the world. And with that being said, wherever you are in the world, make sure to be you, show up all the way, be all in. Connect with someone today, make them smile, have yourself a stellar day. Lots of love to you, and until soon. 